Welcome to the Bonnet Bunch Podcast. This show is a safe space I've created for Black women to feel comfortable in their natural state. We uncover issues in the Black community, Black empowerment, Black women in business and business tips, spirituality, and popular Black topics. So everything is all Black all the time. And I'm your host, Z, and I'm also a virtual assistant. So go check out my Instagram at virtuallyz. Hello, hello. Welcome to the first episode of The Bonnet Bunch. I am so excited because I've been talking about starting a podcast for quite some time now. So I'm definitely grateful that I'm following through with my ideas. I'm definitely grateful that Spirit has guided you to this show. Welcome. You're listening for a reason. So grab your bonnet, get comfortable, girl, because we are going to uncover mental health issues in the Black community and the history behind it specifically raw, uncut. This episode may be triggering, just a warning for some listeners out there who do struggle with mental illness and or any traumas. We're going to talk about why mental health isn't taken seriously in the Black community the most and reasons many do not seek professional help for various reasons. Stigma and perception of mental illness in the Black community, experience with inaccurate diagnosis, lack of representation or diversity in healthcare, distrust of healthcare system, perceived racial discrimination, and we are going to uncover it all. Now for my minorities, my Gen Z folks in the Black households, we are going to take a look into their standpoint first, and then we're going to talk about the history of mental health in Black women pregnancy during and after. And lastly, we will dive into why it's so common for Black men to not go to the hospital (laughs) and their mental health history as well. So let's get started. To the teenagers or young adults that live in a Black household, we all know that stop record reaction that happens when someone speaks up and says, I feel depressed or I'm just tired or I'm just dealing with a lot right now. These feelings are always dismissed or shut out to really understand why that is so common. You have to research way back. And yes, I'm talking way back to slavery as if that was really surprising. As if that is surprising. In 1848, a physician and medical director in Virginia and owner of Eastern Lunatic Asylum by the name of John Galt claimed that blacks were immune to mental illness. He assumed that enslaved Africans cannot develop mental illness. Want to know why? Because as enslaved people, they did not own property. They didn't engage in commerce or participate in voting or holding office. So he's basically telling them in a way, you got a roof over your head, you got free food and clothes on your back, and you're being taken care of. There's nothing wrong with you. Can't be. You can't be traumatized. You can't be stressed. What you got to be stressed for? Sound familiar, right? Sometimes black parents rebuttal with, how can you be going through anything mentally when you don't have bills to pay? You don't have to get up and go to work. You don't have to put food on the table every night. So they push your feelings aside, turn around and dump all of their problems on you because they need to heal too. They're projecting. They don't think you've gone through enough to feel this way because you are so young 
And black parents, if you're listening to this, your children are not your therapists. <laughs> I'm going to just say that right now. It's not their responsibility to worry about these things. And, you know, growing up in Detroit, my mom did everything she could to make ends meet. But I will say she did a very good job at hiding these issues from me at that time. Because kids don't have the mindset or capability to take in all that information about adulting. Now you've transferred that stress energy to them and they're worried and feel helpless in a sense because they can't help you or themselves for that matter at this point. And that just adds on to what they were already feeling, which will stress you out even more because you've opened a whole new door of problems to them. Are y'all tuning in? Because... <laughs> We haven't even got started. We are three, four minutes in and it's already getting juicy. So <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Our community has embraced this narrative that was given to us years ago. And it's more to it than that. In 1851, Samuel A. Cartwright made up drapetomania. Some of you may know what that is, but he defined it as a mental illness that caused slaves to run away. He stated that it was a consequence of masters who treated their slaves as equal. When your parents tell you, I'm not one of your little friends or stay in a child's place, but they want to make adult issues your problem, but you're supposed to be in a child's place. When they see other parents treating their kids too lenient, it's common to bat an eye. Or when a child starts acting out, they resort to beating as the answer to fix the issue. And listen to this. Treatment for drapetomania included whipping the devil out of them, as Mr. Cartwright said, as a warning and remedy, including removal of toes or the foot to make running physically impossible. And even claimed that free blacks were at a higher mental illness rate than enslaved blacks. So we went from nothing is wrong with you, you're fine, to oh, unless you disobey us, now you have a problem. Now there's something wrong with you, and now you need to be punished for it. Sound familiar? This is a cause and effect of how we treat each other because this is what was instilled into our ancestors. And there is little wonder that we continue to see high suicide rates amongst black children. Racism, systematic oppression and discrimination, police brutality, untreated parental psychopathology, and disruptive family dynamics are all influences for mental illness in black children. So no, it's not oh, that doesn't happen to us. And no, we can't just pray it away. We have to think way past that. With inequality of care, these numbers of black children will only continue to grow if you are not cautious with what your children are telling you. A lot of time, these kids don't make these types of things up, not these things. If a child is coming to you telling that they're they're tired, they're depressed, they're, they don't feel happy, Listen to that. There is something behind that. Something going on at school. Something going on personally. Something going on with a family member you may not know. Talk to your kids, y'all. Now we are going to go into history of mental health and black women pregnancy and talk about how our mental health is not taken seriously in the medical field. Don't shoot y'all, okay? This episode is not meant to bash just parents because we as adults also have our feelings dismissed as well. So let's talk about it. Most women in general experience mental health issues at rates twice that of men. We all know this. But black women in particular are only half as likely to seek care as white women. And we struggle with mental health the most because once again, our community has always had least access to health care. And we get shooed away from hospitals with Tylenol and prayer. 
<laughs> because no one listens to us when we express our conditions. I have seen it firsthand with myself, friends, and I even have family members who work in healthcare. So it's quite obvious as to why black women face significant disparities, but understanding why these differences occur is simple. Let's go back in time again. Dr. J. Marion Sims, a gynecologist surgeon who carried out a series of experimental operations on black enslaved women and coerced these women into having unwanted and unnecessary surgeries. These patients were actually willing participants looking to have certain afflictions cured due from childbirth where help wasn't available at that time. So they had some defects after childbirth and... The thing wasn't thinking like it like it normally would. And of course, slaves did not have access to medical care, so they didn't think too much about the consequences. They just wanted to be cured and be back to normal. But they also didn't have a choice either because the men who enslaved these women became frustrated with their condition because they were not able to perform their labor duties that would earn the enslavers money. So they sought out help to Sims. He made arrangements with their enslavers to lease the women for the duration of their treatment, which was six months. So he had complete control over their bodies and he gathered them in a small hospital behind his house in Montgomery, Alabama between late 1845 to the summer of 1849 and repeated operations on these women with no anesthetics during procedures or prescribed medication after surgery because it was believed that black women could not feel pain the same way white women did. Let's just pause right there. This theory that we can handle it all and do it all by ourselves, I love the energy. I'm proud of you. And, and if you are doing the damn thing, by all means, do that. But don't lose yourself trying to play into this strong black woman stereotype. I don't care. You are not any less than for seeking help. You are not any less than because you want support from a good man. You are not any less than because you couldn't achieve or complete something. You are not any less than for showing emotion. You deserve the soft life too. You don't have to be superwoman or the woman that everybody depends on. They painted that picture, not you. And you need a new canvas, sister girl. I used to get so mad at myself. Like, why? Like, dang, why am I crying? Why am I showing weakness? Not everybody's going to think I'm weak because I just cried in front of them. Why, why not cry? <laughs> Normalize showing your emotions. Normalize making that okay. You're upset about something. You feel some type of way. Cry. I don't care. I'm going to cry. I do not care over the smallest thing because I deserve luxury. I deserve everything to be perfect. So if something doesn't go my way, I'm going to cry. I don't care. <laughs> like, cry. It's okay. You felt some type of way. Show your emotions. We always have to hold the weight of everybody around us. No. No. But back to the story. He would do these operations without anesthesia. And oftentimes, the women would have to hold each other down while undergoing surgery. And there are three women in particular who are the most important. And we are going to say their names, y'all. Anarcha, Betsy, and Lucy. Three enslaved African-American women and patients of Sims. Lucy was the first of three to be experimented with the operating room packed with doctors who wanted to watch the procedure. 
didn't even consent to being watched by these strange men. Lucy was brought to the table naked and restrained so her movements would not disrupt the surgery, which took about an hour, and she was conscious for every minute of it. And she developed a terrible infection, which was able to get cured, but her injury was not healed. So we have our first failed surgery. The exact injury that he was supposed to be curing and the operation was a failure. Betsy went under the same operation, same situation, and did not experience the infection Lucy suffered, but her injury was not repaired. And this was another operation fail. By the time he started operating on Anarcha, the medical community decided that he was a failure and stopped supporting his experiments. And all three of these women were left under his control because now they're considered useless to their enslavers without a cure. And he continued his experiments even though all his white male assistants quit. He trained the three women to care for one another between recoveries and they had no choice but to cooperate. And he also experimented on them for the next five years and also brought in other enslaved women to experiment on as well. Even though he was considered a failure, he had no shortage of patience because once again, Enslaved women did not receive proper care during or after pregnancy. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But he had operated on a total of 12 women. And in the summer of 1849, it took 30 operations on Anarcha before her injury was finally healed and fully recovered. 30 operations, no anesthetics. As soon as he perfected his procedure, he closed down his hospital and then sent the women back to their enslavers. In 1852, Sims published an article that outlined his new procedure. And to appeal to a wider audience, he never even mentioned that the women he operated on were enslaved. And he also never mentioned that the enslaved women became skilled medical practitioners. Matter of fact, in the article, he is shown operating on white women with the help of a white nurse. The patient is also covered. A gift of respect that Anarcha, Betsy, and Lucy never received. Sims' work and article changed surgical treatments for women, which earned him the nickname the father of the modern gynecology. But we must acknowledge that this was only possible made through the exploitation and suffering of enslaved women's bodies. Anarcha, Betsy, Lucy, and all of the unnamed patients J. Mary and Sims deserve to be remembered as the mothers of modern gynecology because without their labor and pain, Sims' achievements would not have been. Okay? So now that we have gone over some of the history, let's look at how it affects us today. Black women are three times more likely to have maternal death awareness. This risk can heighten stress and anxiety during pregnancy potentially placing black women at risk for postpartum depression, a.k.a. the baby blues, which affects about 20% of all races, but more than 40% of African-American women have been afflicted by it. Reasons including emotional and financial distress, domestic violence, poor access to health care, single parenthood, and poor or inadequate child care. No matter what the case may be, these factors cannot continue to be overlooked. And one common symptom of postpartum is feeling hopeless. If these feelings continue, it becomes severe and a new mother could threaten her life or die by suicide. So it is important that black mothers receive help. Once again, we step into this strong black woman narrative and think we can be a do-it-all and try to be a super mom. It's okay to need a break. 
It's okay to want some away time from your kids. It's okay. You are not a bad mom for that. I mean, what is the definition of a good mother? Everybody has their own individual definition of what they think a good mother is or does. Everybody will have something to say and put in their input about what you're doing with your child anyway, because you're a black woman. So everything you do is being watched and judged. So why do you care? Stop letting other people paint. Stop letting other people paint your picture. Why do you care? Normalize making it okay for the feelings that you feel. The feelings that you feel are valid. All right, y'all. We're getting into the last segment of this episode where we talk about the men. Oh, boy. Let's get into it. Prior to the civil rights movement, schizophrenia was described as a harmless condition that was prominent in the white middle class female population. Magazines from the 1920s to the 1950s connected schizophrenia to a minor mental illness. Okay, y'all? Just listen. But in the 1960s, assumption about race, gender, and temperament of schizophrenia suddenly changed. The illness was defined as the protest psychosis. And who was targeted to be taken down by this theory first? Black men. You got that right. Mind you, there were a lot of black male protest leaders. The Black Panthers, public speakers, marchers, and so on and so forth. So when black men were protesting, they were deemed as angry, violent, untamed. There was even an ad. It was a cartoon picture of a black man holding an angry fist with a burning building behind him that read angry or belligerent with a question mark at the top. And the burning building represented how they used to burn down predominantly black towns that were built. They confirmed that the they confirmed that the fire was what caused the trigger of this disease. And it's like, how dare you? How dare you? Because they were the ones causing this trauma and infusing the anger. So now, so now just, there's a sickness for it? I, anyway, and not only was there an increase of black men getting put in asylums and locked wards that were built for whites at first. This also excused police brutality and hate crimes towards black men. They excused this behavior as self-defense. He was angry. He was dangerous. I saw him as a threat and had to take action. And this still applies today with what the black men are facing. I find it so crazy. I found out that prisons provide better access to mental health care for black men than they do on the outside. Want to know why? Because the confinement system was built to tear down the black man. They are not seeking medical help or being underdiagnosed for their conditions when they are free. And then what happens? He does some crazy shit that gets him locked up because of his mental issues. It's all a setup. Another loop to keep black men locked up. And this is also why I believe why black men never go to the hospital. For example, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Hundreds of men, all black and many of them poor, signed up. They were promised free meals, free physicals, and free burial insurance. What wasn't told was that they would become a part of the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. A secret experiment conducted by the U.S. Public Health Service to study the progression of the deadly disease without treatment. This study recruited 600 black men, of which 399 were diagnosed with syphilis and 201 were a control group without the disease. The researchers never obtained informed consent from the men and never told the men with syphilis that they were not being treated. 
but were simply being watched until they died and their bodies examined for ravages of disease. Initially, when the study began, treatment for syphilis was not effective, often dangerous and fatal. But even after penicillin was discovered and used as a treatment for the disease, the men in the Tuskegee study were not offered the antibiotic. And the project was only supposed to last six months, but the study went on for 40 years. In 1966, a public service investigator raised concerns about the study. Peter Buxton wrote to the director about the ethics of the experiment, but the agency ignored, and Buxton eventually leaked information about the study to an Associated Press reporter named Jean Heller, who years later called it one of the grossest violations of human rights I can imagine on July 26, 1972. Heller's story operated on the front page of New York Times, revealing that the men had deliberately been left untreated for 40 years. The experiment was finally put to a halt and a year later followed by a lawsuit. And I'm just going to close with this, y'all. We avoid mental illness because our people were either fed these made-up diseases that weren't true and punished for them, which reflects from the there's nothing wrong with me rumor, we are either mistreated or underdiagnosed in the medical field or can't even afford proper health care, which is why our community is less likely to seek medical assistance. Our ancestors have suffered an extensive amount of trauma that has just been passed on and on and on. And it, it has just turned into a survival tactic. We now hide from our mental health as a defense mode and try to push those feelings away. But there is no need to do that. We don't have to do that anymore. We are more powerful than that. And that's all I'm going to say, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bonnet Bunch. Bonnet Girl out. Oh my gosh, Z, that was so corny. <laughs>